Well, hey, good morning, everyone. As uh, Steve said, my name is Ben, and uh, I do have a message to bring this morning. When he said it was a great message, somebody in my family went, yeah. And so uh, they're my biggest fans. I don't know who that was, but thank you. Thank you, kids. Thank you, my wife. I hope it lives up to that. Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be this morning. If you brought a Bible, I want to invite you to turn there. If you didn't bring a Bible, we've got some on the table in the back of the room. You're welcome to grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to keep one of those as your own. It's our gift to you. But Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be today. And if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been talking about love. Uh, We've been focusing on what the Bible has to say about love. And uh, that's why we're calling this series The Summer of Love. Um, And it's really an important topic because as Christians, as followers of Jesus, love is an essential attribute of our faith. And we, uh, we read in Mark chapter 12 that when Jesus was asked what the most important commandment is, he replied by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, that you love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, there is no commandment greater than these. There's no commandment greater than the commandment to love God and to love other people. And we have a responsibility as followers of Jesus to those things. So we're going to look at the the, um, first command, what it means to love God later in July when I preach again. But today I want to focus on that second commandment and what it means to love our neighbor. As I mentioned before, the scripture we'll look at is in Luke chapter 10, and it's where we find the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm guessing that uh, most of you here today have heard the parable of the Good Samaritan before. If you haven't heard the parable, I'm confident that you've at least heard the the phrase, the title, Good Samaritan. We've taken uh, that title and we put it on people who do good things, don't we? We say, "He's he's a good Samaritan or she's a good Samaritan. It's perhaps the the best known parable that Jesus ever told, and it actually tells us a lot about what it means to love our neighbor. So let's read it together, Uh, Luke 10, starting in verse 25. Here's what it says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Now let's pause right there. We read that Jesus encountered this man and he's described as an expert in the law and he refers to Jesus as teacher, but he's really wanting to give the teacher a test. Right, It says that he wanted to test Jesus. He's wanting to show the crowd that Jesus can't handle a tough theological question. So the man asked Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus does what he often did when someone was trying to trap him with words. And he turns the question around and he asks the expert, what do you say? How do you read it? Or in other words, you're the expert, you tell me. Uh, And the expert answers, well, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus affirms this answer, but then he says, do this and you will live. Now, why does Jesus add that phrase? Why does he make it a point to say this to that man? Well, I think it's because he knew that this man was an expert in knowing, but not an expert in doing. 
And Jesus wants him to see that it isn't just enough to know the right answer. You've got to actually do it. You've got to actually put what you know into practice. And that makes this man very uncomfortable because he knows he's not doing that. So we read in verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The expert wanted to justify himself, and so now he's going to try to narrowly define that word neighbor to, to make sure that he fits into it. And it's in response to his question that Jesus then tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Starting in verse 30, it, um, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus finished with this question to the expert. In verse 36, he asks, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now for you and I, reading this parable in America, in the 21st century, we miss some of the controversy that is inherent to this story. There are some cultural tensions in the story which would have caused extreme discomfort for Jesus' first century audience. Let me give you an example. Uh, you notice the people who are introduced in the parable. We, we've got the man who gets robbed and beaten, but then besides him, there are three main characters. The first main character is a, a priest, and the office of priest in Israel was of supreme importance. He was a person of, of ultimately high status. The priest represented the people before God. He offered the various sacrifices that were required by the law. And everyone hearing this parable would have recognized that this is a, a person of ultimate importance. The next character introduced is a Levite. And Levites weren't quite as distinguished as the priests, but they were still a very privileged group. In Jewish society, the Levites were responsible for the liturgy. They were responsible for protecting the temple. They had other various religious duties so there was still a certain amount of, of status and a certain amount of importance understood about this man. And those who were listening to, to Jesus tell the parable were likely thinking, okay, I, I see where this is going. Jesus has introduced a, a Jewish man of high rank, the priest, then another Jewish man of slightly lower rank in the Levite. And in the minds of the listeners, the natural progression would have been for the third character to be just a common Jewish man. That would make sense. But the third character is actually a big surprise, and this is where the tension comes in, because Jesus introduces not a common Jewish man, but a Samaritan. Now, what's the big deal about including a Samaritan? Well, 
remember that Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. And what we need to understand is that the Samaritans were despised by the Jews. First of all, Samaritans weren't full-blooded Jews. They, they were part Israelite and part something else, and they were a constant reminder of a dark period in Israel's history. And because of that, the Jews wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. Secondly, though, uh, Samaritans, they believed in the same law as the Jews, but they worshipped in a different place. And this was a big deal to the Jewish people. The Jews believed that you had to worship in Jerusalem. The Samaritans worshipped at Mount Gerizim, and this was considered by the Jews to be sacrilegious and absolutely unacceptable. So in the eyes of the Jews and the uh, in the eyes of the Jews the Samaritans were half-breeds and heretics and the racial and religious contempt between these two groups it was intense. But Jesus uses a Samaritan as a hero in his parable to make a point. And he's saying that it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what your title is, it doesn't matter what you know or what other people think about you, the only thing that matters is what you actually do. It's not a matter of knowing, it's a matter of doing, and it's something that Jesus wanted this so-called expert to understand. And through this parable, Jesus teaches at least four qualities of what it means to be a neighbor. If you're taking notes, the first is this. It's that a neighbor is aware. A neighbor is aware. If you want to be a neighbor, you have to have a certain amount of awareness. And this is what we see in the parable. Both the the priest and the Levite, they cross to the other side of the street, right? They don't want to be aware. They want to get away from the injured man. But that's not what the Samaritan does. Look again at verse 33. It says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, And when he saw him, he took pity on him. The text says that that the Samaritan saw him. He saw the wounded man. He became aware of the need. And then it says he took pity on him. He allowed his heart to do what anyone's heart should do. Seeing a person in that condition is he took pity on him. And he allowed his heart to become engaged. and, And he was moved by what he saw. You know, I think a lot of us have... Uh, gotten to a place where we're pretty good at protecting our hearts from the hurt and the needs around us. Uh, We've gotten to a place where our natural reaction is is just to want to ignore and to to get away from any kind of hurt or any kind of need. And, And I'm concerned that far too many Christians are content to act exactly like the priest and the Levite, just crossing to the other side of the street and simply looking the other way because honestly, we'd rather not see. We'd rather not be aware. We'd rather not allow our hearts to engage. So we see a a need or, (coughs) excuse me, we see a needy person and our first inclination is just to ignore it, right? I'm not getting involved. I'm not doing anything about this. But I love what Martin Luther King Jr. said about this. He said, the first question the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan reversed that question, and he asked, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? And see, when you approach others with a question like that, then once you become aware of a need, your heart becomes engaged, and you feel a a sense of obligation to get involved and to do something. So let me ask you, 
are you aware of the people who God has placed around you? Excuse me. Are you aware of the people who God has placed around you? I'm talking about the the people in your neighborhood. I'm talking about the people in your schools. I'm talking about the the people at at your place of work, the people at the park where your kids play, the people at the, the stores where you shop. Are you aware of those people? They weren't put there by accident. And in order to be obedient in this area of loving our neighbors, it has to begin with awareness. We've got to open our eyes and recognize the people and the needs that are all around us. We've got to allow our hearts to engage the situations that we see. That's the first step. The second is this. We see in the parable of the Good Samaritan that a neighbor has access. A neighbor is not only aware, but a neighbor is someone who has access. Look again at verse 34. It says, He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. The text says he went to him. He had access to this man, and he didn't wait. He gets up close and personal. He gets down on the ground with this man, and it says that he poured on oil and wine, and he bandaged the man's wounds. And that might sound a little bit strange to you, but in the first century, wine was used to clean and to disinfect the wound, and oil was used to keep the skin soft and supple. And then the man bandaged those wounds. And in all of this, we see the Good Samaritan going to great effort to care for this hurting man. And it reminds me of something that I read a while back on uh, Francis Chan's blog. Some of you are familiar with Francis Chan. He's a pretty popular author and speaker and pastor. And uh, several years ago, he wrote about a young man who he served with in San Francisco. Let me just read it for you. Francis wrote, Josh is a 20-year-old guy that I serve with on Sunday afternoons. And this past Sunday, he asked me to pray for an elderly, homeless woman whom he had befriended. This woman was attacked and beat up badly the night before. I saw the picture and couldn't believe anyone would do that to a defenseless old woman. It's disgusting. It's hard not to get angry when you see this kind of wickedness. Well, Josh went back to her that night to see if she would be willing to stay at his friend's house, and she didn't feel comfortable going anywhere, so Josh decided to sleep on the sidewalk near her to protect her. And he has spent the past three nights sleeping on the streets to make sure nothing happens to her. I get emotional just thinking about that scene. I mean, what an incredible illustration of what it means to love your neighbor. And there are people who God has put in your path and given you access to so that you can do the same. It may not mean sleeping on the streets, but if you're a student, like maybe it's that kid who always sits alone in the cafeteria, sits alone on the bus, probably is spending most of their time alone this summer. You know exactly the one I'm talking about. Kind of weird. They don't really fit in. Kind of awkward. But God has put you in their life. He has put them in your path and given you access to that person for a reason. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, and it seems like the only people you have access to are about a tenth of your age. Uh, And I remember those days. That's that's tough stuff for a stay-at-home mom. But maybe God has given you access to some other moms in your neighborhood. 
who are desperate for someone to reach out and to offer friendship and, and to offer love. Maybe you work a full-time job and your work demands a lot of you. I know that when you're at work, like you've got to be focused on work. But have you ever considered that the people you work with every day are the very people God has given you access to so that you can reach them with the hope and the love of Christ? Who is it that God wants you to be aware of? Who is it that he has given you access to? If you really don't know, I want to encourage you to start praying a very simple prayer. When you wake up in the morning, just ask the Lord, God, would you make me aware today? Would you show me who it is that you've given me access to? And he'll answer that prayer. He will absolutely show you. And when he does, recognize this also. It's the third thing we see in the parable, that a neighbor also has ability. A neighbor has ability. Look at the second half of verse 34 and on into verse 35. It says, then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So we see that the the good Samaritan not only offered his time and his effort, but he even gave of his finances to help the man in need. And what's more, the, the Samaritan said that he would take care of any extra expense when he returned. He didn't just wish the man well and then leave him with the bill. He did everything necessary to make sure that the man would be well cared for. Margaret Thatcher has a great quote about this. She once said, No one would have remembered the good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions. He had money as well. And uh, I I love that because it's still true for us today, isn't it? That if all we have are good intentions... And if all we do is we hear about the, these opportunities, these needs, these, these uh, potential opportunities to give and to serve, and we just look at that and we say, man, that's terrible. I hope that works out for those people. Well, what good is that? Loving our neighbor is going to require some things of us. It's going to require some time. It's going to require some effort. And yes, it's going to require our resources. And this is why it's so important that we never lose sight of the fact that everything we have, we don't own it. It's all given to us by God. We are stewards of it. It is his stuff. And so if the greatest commandments are for us to love God and to love our neighbors, we should be continually looking at our resources and asking, God, how can I use all of the things that you've entrusted to me to love you and to love people? How can I use all of my resources to move your kingdom forward? That's what we see in the Good Samaritan. He not only had awareness and access, but he had the ability also. He, and he used his resources to help the man in need. Now, Jesus finishes the parable by giving the expert in the law a direct challenge. In verse 37, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And here's where we see the fourth thing that Jesus teaches about being a neighbor. And this really is the most important of all. It's that a neighbor takes action. A neighbor takes action. I wonder if you've noticed what all three men in the story had in common. The priest, the Levite, and the Good Samaritan, they all saw the same man in need, right? They all had awareness. 
they all had equal access to him. And they all likely had some ability to help. They had all of these things in common, but the difference was in their response. Because the priest and the Levite, they distanced themselves from the man by walking on the other side of the street. They didn't want to be aware. They didn't want to have access. They certainly did not want to have to use their ability and their resources to engage with this man. They wanted to ignore the situation and get out of there. But the Samaritan responded differently, and he took action. And using this parable, Jesus not only answered the question of who is my neighbor, but he also implies the question, what kind of a neighbor are you? And that's such an important question for us to consider, because you may have all of the qualities necessary to be a good neighbor. You may have awareness, you may have access, you may have ability, but without taking action, we are just walking on the other side of the street, ignoring our neighbors. But the Samaritan took action, and Jesus says to the expert in the law, and to you and to me, go and do likewise. Folks, we have to go and do likewise. We have to put this into practice. And I want to tell you this morning, that's why Genesis Church is committed to partnerships with organizations like the Cooper House and Shepherd Community Center and Nehemiah Vision Ministries in Haiti. It's why we serve with Food for Souls and Opportunities Now in Myanmar and places like Last Bell in Ukraine. It's why we do things like collecting food for kids who are food insecure over spring break. It's why we collect blankets for the homeless. It's why we're in the middle of this back-to-school drive right now. All of this is because we recognize the great responsibility we have to loving our neighbors. But I want to caution you about something. Because in all of what I just mentioned, there is a chance that we could feel like we are a part of loving our neighbors collectively without ever taking any responsibility personally. That we could give nothing of our time or ability or resources, but still feel like we're doing a pretty good job at loving our neighbors because we go to a church that does those things. Listen to me. If we are not personally taking action, we should not believe in obedience by association. That is not a thing. Obedience to this command means each and every one of us taking the example of the Good Samaritan and then going and doing likewise. So let me ask again, how are you doing at loving your neighbor? Are you putting this into practice? I know that you know all this, but are you doing it? And if you're realizing this morning that your love for others is lacking, please do not think that the remedy is to simply try harder. Please do not think that the remedy is to simply press on your will or, or to be filled with guilt or shame and, and to think, man, I, I just, I got to do better. I got to try harder to beat yourself up to the, the point of doing more. No, that's not the answer. The real cure for a lack of love is always to look at Jesus. Remember who he is. Remember what he has done. Remember what he has promised to do and let that motivate you toward loving others. See, we have a tendency uh, to think that in this parable and in others that we're the hero. 
right? We, we read the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and we think that we're the Samaritan. Isn't it funny how we always put ourselves in the hero role? Remember, the, the text said that the expert in the law wanted to justify himself, and, and that's exactly what I want to do. And that's exactly what you want to do. There's something broken in our hearts that we always want to justify ourselves. We want to be the hero. But listen, I want to suggest to you this morning that you are not the hero. And I am not the hero. Jesus is the hero. And the, the parable of the Good Samaritan is actually a beautiful illustration of the gospel. Because just as the man had been beaten and robbed, so had our sin robbed us of life and hope and peace with God. And just as he was left bloody and half dead on the side of the road, so had our sin left us helpless and hopeless and utterly dead. And just as the Good Samaritan was traveling in a country not his own, so did Jesus leave his rightful place in heaven and walk among us. And just as the Good Samaritan saw the man in his desperate condition, so did Jesus Christ see us dead in our sin and headed for hell. Just as the Good Samaritan had access to the man, so did Jesus access us, adding humanity to his deity, becoming like us in every way, yet without sin. And just as the Good Samaritan had ability, so was Jesus, because of his sinless life, the only one with the ability to break the power of sin and to take the punishment for our sin and offer us the forgiveness we so desperately need. And just as the Good Samaritan took action, doing everything necessary to provide for the man's well-being, so has Christ done everything necessary to rescue you and redeem you and restore you to a place of hope and peace with God. Folks, Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan. He has met the greatest need of your soul, the forgiveness of your sins, and he has offered you his righteousness. But have you received it? Have you believed in his name? John writes in his gospel that the, to those who do, to those who receive him and believe in his name, he gives the right to be called the children of God. If you have not done that, I want you to hear me clearly this morning. Simply putting into practice the principles of the Good Samaritan will benefit you nothing. It is worth nothing. True love for others will only flow from a heart that understands and embraces the gospel, the love of God in our own hearts and lives. 1 John 4, 19 says, We love because he has first loved us, and it's only because God had awareness and access and ability. It's only because he took action that we are able to love others at all. And so, first... We surrender to his love by receiving and believing in his son, Jesus Christ. And then we obey his command to love our neighbor. Which of those two steps of obedience do you need to take today? Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. God, it is a lamp to our feet and it is a light to our path. It shows us the way to go, and it shows us when we're not on it. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would convict us 
of this area of, of loving our neighbor as ourself, Father. I thank you that you sent Jesus to be the ultimate example of what loving our neighbors looks like. I thank you that Jesus took action when we could not, living a perfectly sinless life, and then laying his life down willingly, dying for my sins and for the sins of the world. And I thank you that he has offered me his righteousness so that I don't have to work to earn it, God. I never could. Thank you so much that Jesus was the ultimate good Samaritan for us, Father. And when we come to believe and come to receive him as the good Samaritan of our souls, Lord, then it's our job to walk as Jesus walked and to live like Jesus lived. And so we want to be people who who love our neighbors, not to earn your love, God, not to justify ourselves, but because you first loved us. It's the only appropriate response for people who are loved by God is to then share that love with the people around us. Would you help us to do that, God? Would you convict us of any area where we've maybe built a wall up around our heart and we've ignored our neighbors and we've decided just to walk on the other side of the street? Oh God, would you engage our heart Would you help us have eyes to see and to be aware? Show us the access that you've given us to the people around us. Father, remind us that you've given us ability, that everything we have is from you and for this. And God, find us to be people who take action, not just knowing the right thing, but doing the right thing. God, would you grow us in this even today? And it's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. I want to invite you to 